This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is my technical producer and Ryan White is my live stream producer. And uh, I, I, please check out the, uh, the YouTube and Rumble live stream, Strange Planet. Some old friends are uh, dropping by tonight. Nelson Thal, former student of the late communications guru Marshall McLuhan. Nelson, of course, a uh, a longtime assassination researcher. And um, we'll discuss some deep state secrets, including the recent death of actors Anne Heche in a fiery crash, which uh, happened about a day after the car crash, which took the life of U.S. Representative Jackie Walorski. Walorski had just sponsored a bill, I believe, to combat human sex trafficking. And Heche, Heche had recently appeared in a movie called The Girl in Room 13, where Heche plays the mother of a young girl who is held captive in a hotel room with the aim of selling her, her captors, that is, have the aim of selling her into human trafficking. Interesting coincidence, perhaps. Anyway, time permitting, we'll also get into digital ID, digital currency, and the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. Also in the second hour, noted Canadian UFO researcher Victor Vigiani on unidentified aerial phenomena. Where have we been? Where are we now? And what comes next in terms of disclosure? And I've known Nelson since... uh, the early 1990s, when I first started producing talk radio, I've known Victor Vigiani since the early 2000s, and it's so great to have them with me tonight. This hour, Canada's Edgar Casey, remote viewer, clairvoyant healer, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, and I've known Douglas as uh, also since the early 90s, again, when I was a young producer, and he'll join me here in just a moment, and we'll get into some earth changes and prophecies, and then towards the tail end of this hour, another remote viewing experiment live on the air, and you can participate as well in the YouTube live chat or via the phone. Uh, But first, I have some news. Uh, Last Sunday, I marked my 13th anniversary here on Zoomer Radio AM 740. Moses Neimer would say it was my bar mitzvah, indeed. And it's been a, uh, a wonderful ride. 
And uh, special thanks to Moses Neimer and Paul Thomas and everyone at Zuma Radio over the years. So supportive. Uh, but it's time to say so long. Tonight is not the last show, however. Tonight is not the last show. Next week, next week, I'm going to do two hours of open lines and also dip into the audio vault and play some snippets from some of my favorite shows over the last 13 years. And of course, this won't be the last you'll hear from me. I still have the podcast, Strange Planet. You can find that anywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. And I'll continue producing three episodes a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The YouTube channel, where many of you gather every week so faithfully, that will continue. It just won't be Sunday nights anymore. So stay tuned for more information on that. And of course, I'll continue with my daily afternoon show on Saga 960 AM weekdays from 4 to 6 PM. And you can still catch me on Coast to Coast AM three or four days per month on a Saturday night or filling in for George Norrie on a Friday night. So um, again, it's so long on Zoomer, but I'm still floating out there in the ether. And it's wonderful Again, to have three longtime contributors and dear old friends with me tonight as I begin to wind this radio program down. Uh, and that's it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get emotional or, as my twin boys would say, I'm not going to get cringe tonight. I'll save that for next week. All right, let's get to it. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is the last of the sleeping prophets, a trans clairvoyant. He's a spiritual healer, teacher, published author who demonstrates many abilities studied by noetic sciences, which is the study of consciousness, including clairvoyance, telepathy, energy healing, remote viewing, prediction, and prophecy. He's one of a select few able to demonstrate all of these abilities, and even fewer who are considered a reliable information source. If that weren't the case, I wouldn't keep bringing him back year in and year out, and it has been many years. He teaches the pe uh, people the world over about spiritual development through the practice of meditation and the application of spiritual principles in daily life. He's the author of Secrets of Life, The Complete New Age Health Guide, The New Earth, A Prophetic View of Our Future, Gems of Wisdom, and Conversations with the Akashic Field, to name but a few. Douglas, dear old friend, welcome back to the penultimate edition of this radio program. How are you? I'm fine, Richard. You know, you sound just the same now after 13 years on Zoomer radio to uh, to the first time you were on there. You haven't aged a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a picture of Dorian Gray, though, getting gray in the uh, getting older in the attic, as they say. That's just wisdom lines. That's all that is. You know, <laughs> you know. it's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, thank I'm, you. I'm, I was reflecting when you invited me on to the show about all the different radio stations we've been on and uh, uh, since the 1990s. Wow, that's dating us, isn't it? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and an honor to be here um, as you wind up your, um, I guess you're, you're right, as you put it here, uh, on one of, uh, one of the best radio stations in Canada. So it's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. And, and I, I, let me also say this. You know, not often in this business do you actually get to say goodbye. Um, you know, if you're if you happen to be let go, which I'm not being let go, I'm just hanging them up, as they say. But it, and even in those instances, you're often not given the opportunity to say goodbye because mm -hmm. management, you know, maybe they're afraid you're going to say something or whatever. That's, I mean, when I said when I uh, uh, let Moses and Paul know 
uh, I'm winding the show down. Would you allow me to do one more show to say goodbye? They say, no, 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 please do at least one more. Do two, do two more so that we can, you know, do it properly. And, and maybe, you know, they'll bring me on to some of the other shows to say so long as well. So that's just really a testament to that. That's such a rarity in this business. But then Zuma Radio and all of the people that work at Zuma Radio, such a rarity in this business, mm-hmm. such integrity and such uh, authenticity and genuineness and kindness. So I just wanted to get that said. Hmm. I mean, I can remember when uh, when uh, Zuma Radio first started out, along with other things that um, um, your CEO or or the organizers uh, were involved in, and uh, it was always with integrity, and that's why they're so successful. Absolutely, absolutely, and that goes for you too. Talk about integrity. Talk about uh, consistency and being a reliable source. Um, you know, I don't, I don't bring a lot of psychics on the program and I mean, that's it's calling you a psychic is really a disservice. I mean, remote mm-hmm. viewer, clairvoyant energy healer, all of these things, but uh, you have an incredible track record. That's, that's, you know, I, I discovered that very early on, um, with you and, and people can go back and check the audio archives, check the tape, if you will, and, and see all of the, the predictions that you have made. Uh, over the years that have come true, whether it's the price of precious metals in any given year, whether it's earth changes that we've seen. Uh, are there any any predictions that you've made um, that stand out for you that um, basically you called it ahead of time and then it happened? Well, the short answer to that is not really. They, um, they all were... Um you know, given to me through visions or dreams or or things like that. I, I mean, it, it, you're right about calling me a psychic. That kind of has, you know, am I wearing uh, any kind of uh, wrappings around my head? Do I have any bangles in my ears or I have a crystal ball or, you know, whatever? Um, I guess a proper way to say what I am is, is a publisher uh, who happens to be intuitive. And uh, I have that baseline that uh, keeps me in the reality of the moment and the world. And, uh, you know, I'm a little cynical guy when it comes to people who make wild claims about their abilities and uh, gifts and powers, etc. It's kind of like be be humble. And that's when the information comes through. I think to answer your question, one of the most, uh, um, I guess, profound things was that I announced on your show that in the future, the the Earth was rotating at a different speed on the crust versus the mantle or the inside of the planet was rotating at a, I think I said a slower rate than the crust or vice versa, I can't remember now. That was years ago. Yes. And at that time, I challenged Dr. Suzuki to prove me wrong. <laughs> I, I don't think I made it like such a prove me wrong. It was more like I would challenge him to verify that this actually happened. And I have maintained that uh, the position that the reason the oceans are warming up and the polar caps are melting and the earth is wobbling and we have this pulse around the equator and all these things that magnetic uh, are wobbling. And actually, the North Pole is heading towards the Bering Strait. Was due to the internal temperature of our planet heating up, which is heating up the oceans. And I announced, I believe, on your show for the first time 
not one degree Celsius, not two, which would be absolutely terrible, not three, which would be catastrophic, but it was going to go to, if you can say, Richter, four degrees Celsius in the oceans. And that's where we are now. And look what's happening to the planet. And we were talking about that on your show more than 20 years ago. You know, that I would say 25 years ago. I can't remember for sure, but uh, I'm going to get my my people to talk to your people to go back and look in the archives and see when when that might have happened and uh, put that forward. But that's down that, that one of those things that that uh, was remarkable that was affecting the the world and the people on the planet. And here we are now worrying about Wyoming with a super volcanoes about to go off. I have made other predictions about shortages, about uh, um, you know shipping shortages, about, as you say, the metals going up, about what's happening uh, around the world. And the most recent one that I announced on your show um, was that, well, a couple comes to mind, that uh, one that Queen Elizabeth was going to pass the crown to her son. And he seems to be out there doing all the things to be the heir apparent. Uh, and that looks like that's going to happen soon. But the most devastating prediction I've made lately, uh, again on your show, was that there will be an explosion at a nuclear installation in the Ukraine. That's right. You said that the last time you were on this program. Mm. Which was months and months ago, I think. You should have me on more often. <laughs> I think it was just what? after Russia invaded Ukraine. So we're talking late February, early March. Yeah, that's about six, seven months ago, maybe. Yes. Uh, and I had had this vision that there was going to be a man and a woman fighting, uh, shooting at uh, somebody in a very green uh, camouflaged uh, uniform that turns out to be the same color that the Russian uh, uh, regular army wear. And then there was this dome-shaped uh, building in the back that exploded. Black clouds were up in the in the uh, sky with orange outlines around the clouds and writing inside in the clouds that I couldn't read. I had to get an interpreter. And in the dream, I heard a voice that said you know, that my job was to warn people that this was going to happen. So when I had the vision or dream, it didn't make sense because I didn't know uh, who the combatants were. But now we know it's a citizen army fighting against the Russian uh, regulars. They know there's a big domed um, building in the background, which turns out to be the nuclear reactor facility. And now, I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think three times there have been rounds or, or bombs or artillery fired at the installation. One time's going to screw up. It's not just going to be a camouflage or a false flag or whatever the propaganda value of that is. It's insane, absolutely insane that they're doing that. Mm -hmm. But one time that reactor is going to go off. And then I've had another vision I think we talked about where the Russian, something was going to happen to the Russian people. There were going to be bodies in the streets and nobody would touch them. I, I'm not sure if I mentioned that in your show or another one. Where it was tends to suggest maybe radioactive radi radiation poisoning yeah. or something like that. But when I had it, I thought it was like the plague because COVID was in full bloom, and we thought, here we go, because it didn't make sense why there would be bodies in the street, and um, and and uh, passersby or people wouldn't touch them or go near them. It does now. If we look at this as being radioactive, nobody will go near because, of course, people will be affected with, with radioactive sickness and or death. So this is ahead of us. Uh, 
the shortages that I predicted uh, were happening uh, are now out there. I, I went to the store and tried to buy my favorite tonic water, and the local variety store said, haven't been able to get it for weeks. I haven't been able to get a lot of things. And so we're into, as I have mentioned or, or predicted or warned on your show before, stock up, have things, food, et cetera. Uh, and now it's becoming apparently apparent to everybody that we need to stock up on Tylenol, baby's milk, staples, things that we wouldn't normally have thought of before. And I'm feeling or sensing that something's going to happen in October this October. I'm not sure if maybe it's the reactor thing. I'm not sure what it is, but there seems to be a shadow coming over us in October. The point being is that another shadow. <laughs> well, it, two it, years it, of it, shadow. It could could be this, but you know, uh, uh, that book I wrote, The New Earth, and before it, its uh, original copy, 2012 and beyond. Yes. Uh, there were more, 87, more than 87 uh, predictions that have come true in that book. And people can go to my website, uh, my full name, douglasjamescottrell.com, and they can buy a copy. I'm getting pretty low on inventory, and I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to uh, uh, reorder or, um, you know, republish. But uh, the, the point being is that those things were said, they've come true, and most of them I've announced on your show. I mean, we've talked about... Uh, uh, I, I once on Coast to Coast with you made a claim that Hillary Clinton was going to be the um, be president or win the election. Well, she won the most popular vote. But, uh, you know, you were pretty like, you know, well, you didn't make that one. You kind of blew that one a bit. So, OK, I'll take it hey, on I, the chin. I have to call you out on uh, sort of. On yeah. So so it's honest. It's it's honest. Right. And um, uh, the, the, the thing in 2005, I was in Quincy. Rhode Island, when I had made the prediction, when she becomes president, I was doing this in a, in a meditative state, talking to, I think there were 75 people in the room. I'm now wondering, because who was she? Because usually the visions or dreams come true, usually, almost always. Uh, sometimes there's a little delay or lag in it, or I don't quite see it clearly, but but the essence of the vision or the or the event is true. And so I've been wondering, and I mean, for your listeners out there, what I'm about to say, they might agree or disagree, but I think in 2005, I assumed it was going to be Hillary, and then I assumed it was going to be Vice President Harris. But now I'm feeling pretty sure Guess who? Liz Cheney. I think she is going to be president of the United States. Oh, dear. That's a long. That's a well, you're go, you're going out there on that one, I'd have to say. But I just I was watching her and I, I pay close attention to uh, I, I watch all the news stations, Fox, CNN, CBS and BBC and CTV and all those things. I watch everything because I can. I'm able to to spend some time watching. So, uh, but it just occurred to me that maybe in 2005, this is the woman president because it said when she when she becomes president, uh, the, something's going to happen to the country where it's going to get come back in order or something like that. I, I can't remember what I said uh, specifically. Liz Cheney running under the GOP banner. 
because she just got trounced in the primary uh, oh, in Wyoming. Big time, big yeah. time, yeah. And, uh, and I, I know this confidentially. I've been told there are more people running as independent or registering themselves as independents. I think they say no political affiliation. I think that's what's going That is surging. And I believe on your show one time ago, I said that uh, the independents are going to come up the middle in the next election, which or, or a future election, which I think is now taking place. More people are dissatisfied with both of the major parties in the U.S. and and independents will independent uh, candidates will come up. All right, just so uh, I'm clear, Douglas, we're going to go into a break here. Sure. Your 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 prophecy or prediction here is that Liz Cheney will run for president and win as an independent. Just I'm so I no 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 no. I'm no? just going to say. I get a feeling okay. <laughs> that the All prediction right. I made in 2005, it's going to be her. All right. That's so what I'm saying. And Liz Cheney as an independent or not necessarily? No, I think she's going to stick. I think she she doesn't want to be independent. She's true to the Republican Party. And if you're just joining us, uh, just to uh, once again reiterate, this is not my last show, but my second to last show. And I just want to respond to um, some of my dear friends in the YouTube chat Wondering, you know, what has happened, and uh, I am I am not being forced out. This was my decision, and my decision alone. After 13 years, um, I just felt like the right time, and I have, as you know, uh, so many other things on the go. I've got the podcast, I've got my week or my daily show on Saga 960. I have Coast to Coast, uh, and so. You know, as I'm um, approaching 60, my sixth decade, it's just time to, I guess. Keep one less plate spinning in the air. I've got a lot of things on the go, and I will continue to have a lot of things on the go. But this is just one less thing uh, for me. It wasn't an easy decision, but it just felt right. So uh, on the second to last show, I've gathered my uh, my dear friends and colleagues, uh, two of which will join me in the two of whom will join me in the second hour. Victor Vigiani from Zeland News, and of course, uh, media scientist Nelson Thal. Right now, Douglas. James Cottrell stays with us, remote viewer, clairvoyant, uh, <laughs> publisher, uh, with intuition. I think you described yes, yourself. Yeah. That's good enough. Yeah, I'm the psychic publisher, I'll put it that way. You know, I have a business card that says the psychic guy and my phone number. So you have to figure out who the psychic guy is. But if you're looking for me online, it's Douglas James Cottrell. Uh, dot com. Anyway, it's a pleasure. You know, I was just thinking, I've made predictions about you meeting your lovely wife. That's right. Uh, on air. Um, you were. Uh, my mind was flicking back of, of the hundreds uh, and probably several hundred predictions I've made on your show. Um, and people calling in. I remember Big Bob was uh, back in, uh, when we were on St. Clair Avenue there. Uh, the trucker would come and, and call in every now and then. Uh, I look forward to speaking to the regulars uh, back uh, when we were in the wee morning uh, hours doing this show and I would drive all the way back to uh, my home in London. Uh, I had a lot of good times and uh, the shows were always fascinating. The listeners always uh, eager to, uh, uh, to, you know, loyal and eager to your show because you provided an array of wonderful guests. Victor Vigiani, an amazing man uh, with some great stories. Nelson, we've met in person and he's a brilliant guy with a with a background uh, to, well, in, in his researches. So you've had some top people on your show, and it's no wonder you, you know, you've lasted 13 years. That's a long time. Did I hear you say you were only 60? Only 60? 
<laughs> well, not quite. Uh, be fifty nine my next birthday, but we're it's uh-huh. we're we're approaching the 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 big six zero. Uh, now, I you just reminded me, I, um, the late great George Genescu, who hosted mm-hmm. band Sunday Night, um, which precedes this program every Sunday. And we lost George, I guess it's been, what is it, coming up on the third anniversary, I think, in November? More than that, uh, I think. But, but we, should, I, I wanted, we should tell that story. When um, George uh, had arthritis and he had different things going on with his, his back and, 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 uh, and so forth. And it got so bad he could no longer grip a golf club and he loved to play golf. And he, he came into the studio one time and he was, um, he was hobbling. I could tell he was in pain. And uh, I said, what's going on, George? And he, oh, I don't know. I can't remember now. He had this shooting pain up and down his leg or something. And I said, you know what I'm going to do, George? Um, I'm going to mention it to uh, Douglas Cottrell. He's coming on to, onto the program tonight. And I think you were coming on in the second hour. So he had already left. And he was driving home. To oh, pay. yes, I remember. <laughs> and, and so while he's driving home, and he always listened to the show, always faithfully. Uh, he was a great um, – a great fan and and uh, and I and I a great fan of his of course. Uh, I, I love him. I, but, sorry, but, Richard. I remembered he wasn't listening to the show that night though. No, but but we'll get into that because okay. so you came out. You so he's headed home to Barry, up driving up the four hundred. You came into the studio and I said, on the live on the air, I said, you know, Douglas, could you send out some healing energy to our good friend George Nescu? He's driving home. He'll be listening. We thought. <laughs> Uh, because he's in awful pain. Do you remember what, what happened after yeah, that? I, I remember, um, and um, we call that uh, virtue, because that's what the Christian Bible calls it in Corinthians. It's called virtue uh, energy. And so I, I put my hands up, and we were on air, and I said, uh, I'm sending them energy now, and I can see it going uh, through his back. Uh, it's going into his chest. He's heating up. And he's probably wondering, thinking he's listening, he's probably wondering if he's on fire. And uh, I, I can see this energy's going down into, down his spine and into his hips, and it's going through his whole body. So that's right. what we said, something almost exactly as that or similar. Right. And then the next day, he comes into the studio, well, and he's walking normally towards you, and what do you say to him? Okay, so it's, it's the next week, because I did oh, the next week, excuse Sunday. me. Uh, no, no problem. So the next Sunday he comes in yeah, and he's walking upright and, and just, you know, he was a big burly man, six foot three, I think. And, uh, I said, Hey George, you, you look great. You're walking great. And he said, yeah, I feel pretty good. He said, I actually uh, can hold a golf club for, you know, for the first time in a long time. Uh, he said, um, I'm, I was driving up the, the highway, uh, last Sunday and I said, yeah, were you listening to the show? He said, no. He said, uh, my, um, my son called me. And so I got distracted and I wasn't listening. And then he said, he said, you're not going to believe this. I thought I was having a heart attack. He said, <laughs> yeah. I was driving along and all of a sudden I felt this burning sensation right between my shoulder blades and then all down my leg and then into my chest. I was on fire which is what you said. He said, Mm -hmm. I thought I was having a heart attack. He said, I pulled over on the 400 and I got out of the car and he said, I was leaning over the, like he got under the, against the rail, obviously the side of the, 
by the guardrail. And he said, I was leaning over the hood of the car. I thought I was having a heart attack and I was on the phone with my son. And then it just went away. He said, and I went home. I, I got home. I went to bed. He said, I slept incredibly well. I woke up and I was pain free. I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, you should come in and sit with me in studio in the first hour because I had Douglas Cottrell on the program last Sunday. And I had the uh, producer, my technical producer at the time, uh, I said, play that clip from last week. Wow. And there you were on the air telling or sending out this energy to, uh, to, to George as he's driving home and he's hearing this for the first time. And when you said, you know, George is going to, or yeah, George is going to feel like he's on fire. And have a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. George Janescu practically <laughs> fell out of his chair in the studio oh, as he's hearing this. Yes. Well, that was, that was a fantastic story. Um, there have been many others in my career, but that was, that was one of those kind. He was on air. Uh, he had uh, no expectation. And unfortunately for him, we, you and I assumed he was listening to the show Right. And that that he was, you know, going to cooperate with this. But at that time, as as he as you just announced, he pulled the car over, got out of the car. I can see him leaning on the hood, thinking, "Oh my God, this is it." Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, poor fellow. He had a quite a fright because, you know, had he been listening, he would have known you were sending him healing energy, and he would have been relaxed and said, "Oh, that's what this is. That's what I'm feeling. Yeah. This is Douglas sending a healing energy." Uh, not having listened to the radio, he had no idea what was happening to him. Well, we've got that one time, uh, time stamped. And, um, you know, that's uh, uh, we became good friends after that when he when he met him. He had vertigo in the uh, some vertigo going on. And I, that's a follow up on that was when I saw him at some time later on. I, I uh, again put some spiritual healing laying on his hands, if you will, into his neck. And uh, I think you asked him if he was going to go home. He said, are you going to take your ver vertical medication? And he said, why should I? Douglas, I've seen Douglas. I don't That's need right. it anymore. That's right. Yes, he was a, a tremendous fan of yours. And just to, just to follow it up, because people are wondering, you know, can I get some of that or where can I do or what's Douglas all about? Um, we do a Sunday Christian church service every Sunday. Uh, you can get to that by looking the website internationalschooloftheprophets.com and it's a free Zoom church service and we do this every Sunday. We send uh, uh, virtue energy out and we say prayers to people. So if anybody's hearing this story, I don't make any guarantees. I don't know what's going to happen. This is between you and God Almighty, but I know uh, I'm kind of like the vessel and sort of the other 40 or 50 people that uh, are on the uh, on the Zoom service anywhere. So that that's not a commercial. It's just information. We don't uh, charge money, but we accept donations. Internationalschoolofdeprofits.com. I had forgotten about that, uh, Richard. But every time when you were talking, I had a, a Cheshire Cat smile here because I like that kind of story mm. because it proves to the person or people listening or people in the know that there is, there is some divine uh, spiritual gifts as recounted in the first Corinthians uh, chapter 12, you know, the spiritual gifts, and that it actually works. 
Right. It was that almost like evidence. not a double blind study, but it was a blind study because George had no idea what was happening to him. I felt I felt I did. I felt sorry <laughs> for right. him oh, because of the panic. My God. But we you and I legitimately thought he was listening to the show because, as you said, he listened to the show every week. And I thought, OK, this is the green light. And uh, the, the big thing was he was pain free. Yes. This was those um, those in the in the in the uh, minority, a total and complete and instant relief okay. of a major disease in a body. Uh, Douglas James Cottrell stays with us, and we're going to uh, – we've been doing a series of remote viewing experiments over the last several years on this program. Uh, Douglas is sitting in his office in London, Ontario. Uh, I cannot see what is on his desk, but he has an object. I'm going to attempt to remote view it. I enjoy – or I invite – rather, I invite listeners and people in the uh, – gathered in the YouTube live chat to attempt as well. I like to kind of sit here with a pen and do, and sketch some impressions that I have. And uh, well, let's let's do a quick let's do a quick do. review before we yeah. start, Richard. Of yeah. you know, how many of these uh, uh, remote viewing objects have you seen? Uh, let's say at least half a dozen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I have another remote viewing workshop coming up on Zoom for people that are interested. Send me, uh, I'm not going to make too much of the details, but info at douglasjamescottrell.com if you're interested. Info at douglasjamescottrell.com and say, I'm interested in a remote viewing um, um, course, you know, please send me more information. So I remember that one of the first ones you saw what you called a donut and it was a travel clock that was folded over and you saw it as kind of a rosy pinkish color. And in fact, it was like an orangey red color. And then you white also saw white inside and two little black lines. Yes. You were looking inside the closed travel clock and you were looking at the face of the clock. The two hands were black and the face inside was white. I think that was the very first remote viewing experiment yes. and I did together. And then yeah. we've, done a, we've done several on coast to coast with some uh, some pretty good success, not only from me, but also from from listeners. Uh, it was well, quite remarkable. Yeah, quickly, uh, we I had a model airplane which yes. was like a three-engine, three propellers, one on the nose and and two on the on the wings. And as you went through your process of of um, as we were on the show, you actually described the fin. You saw the propeller. Other people in the audience saw. They thought it was a helicopter. You saw it on the on the stand, which you described as like the St. Louis Bridge or the um, the arch uh, in St. Louis. Yes. And then all of a sudden you blurted out, it's an airplane. Yes. 100%. Yes. And then uh, one, one of those uh, really, you know, I see a lot of things. Uh, and there are rare things that stick out in my mind. And that was the night that um, we had, I had selected a Rubik's Cube to be the mystery object. I sent the picture in of it, which I have not done to your show tonight, but I'll, I'll take a picture of this and send it to you later, uh, of the Rubik's Cube. And I think Chris, well, whoever the producer was, he inadvertently uh, sent, forwarded the email to you right. with the picture on, and we went, there it goes, can't use that one. Exactly, because so, I saw what, that it, what, what the mystery object was. Actually. was not, you were supposed to be uh, uh, not appraised of what it was. Right. So, 
I immediately had a substitute, which was a little dinky toy, which is a little child's toy, small for those. We call them dinky toys when I was growing up. And it was an ambulance, just a, a, a like a like a a panel truck, not yeah. not a not a van, but a panel truck. And anyway, you went on. You saw the um, the windshield. You saw the color. You saw the shape of the uh, the, the little um, aluminum part. You were picking up details, and you got you got pretty good close on that one. Uh, as did a lot of other people who were were uh, um, looking at it. But I said. The object is on my desk, as I have tonight, and directed the viewer or the listeners rather to um, look, do the viewing of it on my desk. Now, I had decided at the last minute to go to my office, which is 10 or 15 minutes away, because it was quiet or I had a better line connection. And so I had put the Rubik's Cube on my home desk and left it or abandoned it as the object, went to my office desk and I put the little dinky toy on the desk. And people were seeing it. They were you. You were cluing into it, and then two or three people, one in particular, if I recall, announced it's a Rubik's cube. Right. It and was... I said, "Wow, this is amazing!" Because that's what it was supposed to be. You must be remote viewing twenty four hours prior to the show. It's amazing. Or the where they were. In, you said I'm sit, I'm at my desk, and it's in London. They were remote remote viewing your desk in London, but the wrong desk. And it That's was right. the wrong two, object, but it was, it the was. two desks it, were the same color. There were, there were wooden desks. They were the same color. And it was the next day when I said to my son, gee, this curious thing about people seeing the remote, uh, uh, remote viewing the Rubik's Cube. And my son said, yes, that's because they're on, it was on your desk in your house. And it's the same color as the desk in my office. So people were actually coming to where I lived peeking through my house and looking at the Rubik's Cube, 100%, when we were all expecting to see this little uh, dinky toy. Right. And on another occasion, and then we'll get we gotta, to the experiment. Because uh, we have to get to our remote viewing experiment. Yeah. We got. I was go. just going to say, you, you came through and, and followed it up. You were looking at the lamp on my desk. You saw a big rounded thing with holes, and it was my lamp. So today, I'm leading up to, the, to this experiment, because this is a quickie one now. Okay. We don't need to go through all the things we're doing that people can play along. Um, I've cleared off all my desks. I put uh, uh, blankets over uh, whatever else I have lying around. So part of the remote viewing is to make sure that there's not a lot of clutter because people can look at something that's there on your desk, but you wouldn't know it. In one remote uh, experiment at a workshop, uh, one of the fellows, he saw a little yellow toy that I had underneath a blanket trying to hide it. He actually saw it. So I have the object in front of me today. All right. And I don't tell you the object. I give some parameters because your mind, your intellectual mind, uh, and your intuitive mind are sort of at war. And it's got to come together. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things so you don't go all over the place. It's a certain shape. It's a single color. And it'll fit in the palm of my hand. Got it. It okay. is not anything to do with an office desk. Okay. All right. We're going to take time out. I'm going to start remote viewing. I invite listeners to do the same. If you're in the YouTube live chat, when you see something, let Ryan know through the YouTube, YouTube live chat, and I'll uh, announce uh, those as well. All right. Back with more of our uh, conversation. Douglas James Cottrell in a remote viewing experiment right here. Don't go away. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett 
from Zoomer Radio. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, one final remote viewing experiment uh, here on the program on uh, Zoomer Radio as we wind down the program next week. Open lines. Hope to be live in studio at uh, Zoomer Plus. Someone was wondering on the YouTube chat whether that'll happen. Yes, open lines. So get your questions. It'll be an Ask Me Anything uh, two hours. Uh, right now, Douglas James Cottrell stays with us, remote viewer, clairvoyant, healer. And we're doing our, um, I guess, our last remote viewing experiment. Uh, he's got an object hidden from view on his desk in uh, London, Ontario. And uh, Douglas, almost immediately, uh, and I'm always nervous going into these things because I want to do well. Um, I, I'm seeing something. It's round. Um, it's – I'm seeing kind of a, a – a, it's opaque. It's, I can see through it. What do you call that? Is that opaque? Hmm. And it's it's it's. I'm seeing something smooth and brownish. Okay, um, it's on my uh, uh, on my desk, which is sort of a cream color. I have nothing around it at all. Um, it uh, so the desk might appear to be brown. I'm looking as as you're talking. I'm looking to see if there's anything brown. Not that I can see. Oh, okay. So you're getting close, um, but. It's interesting that uh, it, it's not uh, it's not transparent. It's solid, but it does have a design on it or lines on it or something like that, and that might be what you're seeing the the uh, the depth. It's not flat. It has yeah. So, okay, go keep going. You're doing well. And wow. I saw some of those people flipping in the uh, the collars in there, and they they were getting close too. Go ahead. Okay, but. I keep drawing. It looks. It's like a. It's almost like a wheel. Um. So a, like a, a circle, but it's not flat. It's got dimension, and then mm-hmm. it's got a kind of a. As I'm looking down, I think over the top of it, it it's it almost has like a smaller circle in the middle, and then I don't know, like beveled edges or. Almost, I don't. I like you're an, doing well. You're doing orange, well. Like one of those, you know, those things that you juice oranges by hand, that kind of a thing. Um, I don't know what you call that—a juicer, I guess. But it's it's a manual type of juicer. But it's. Uh, I just keep coming back to this. It's round. It's got. That's it's got good. Engine. It's not flat. That's but it's, good. Um, and maybe it, I'm. It, sorry, sorry. It, it it it's not. I don't want to give you. It's not a juicer. It it it'll okay. fit in the palm of my hand. But it, it, but it's not smooth. You're right. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not flat, um, but it is round. Uh, you could say it would be flat. I don't want to steer you wrong, but you're, you're getting close. Go ahead. You got the color. You got the shape. You got some dimension to it. You're, and you saw some, some, uh, uh, the, uh, the surface has, it, it's not flat. It has a different what do we call it? Different surfaces or different height in the surface. You're you're doing really well. Yeah, I'm just I'm just putting that out there so you can feel more comfortable. Well, thank you. You said I got the color right, but I don't think I did. I said brown, but it's not brown. 
Um, well, that's where I think you were looking at the desk. Oh, that's not brown. That's true. You said it was something else, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, again, I just keep drawing this. This it's like it looks like a wheel from the top down almost. Uh, that is true. That's accurate. It does look like a wheel from the top mm-hmm. down. Okay. Yep. Wow. All right. So I'm I'm around the target, but I'm not there yet. Ah. Uh, yeah. It, I'm just, I keep drawing a circle with, like, they look like spokes, but they're not spokes. This, they're, it's just, uh, they're indicating some depth to the object, like, because it's not flat. Um, there, there, there is around the edge something that could be construed as spokes. It's not, but you're honing in on it. You're seeing the difference. So, you, again, for people listening, when you're remote viewing, if you get the shape, the color, the contour, uh, the size, and that's the, in the ethers, the image is forming in your mind's eye, and it's it's kind of until it gets to that point, and all of a sudden, da-da, that's what it is. But those are all hits, if okay. you can get what I've just given you. All yeah. right, so now what I'm seeing is, as I think about, I, well, that's my mistake, I shouldn't be thinking, what I'm seeing in my mind Um. <sighs> Now I'm seeing it's solid white. Is it a? Could it be something like a the 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 cap on a medicine bottle? Too small. Too small. And and too and and does it's not a cap. <laughs> okay. All right. What do we have in the YouTube? Uh, Sigma six says a rubber ball. Uh, Isaiah says a golf ball. Renee, an orange. Actually, the last remote viewing experiment, it was an orange, and I guessed an orange. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. You, you even saw the little dimpling effect on the skin. You were up so close that you could see the dimples or the, the, the difference. And you're doing the same thing here. You're up close, and that's why you're seeing as a, spoky, uh, a spoke symbol. It's not a spoke, but it could be from that perspective when you're up close. You're why? pretty close to it. Go ahead. Uh, we're just about out of time here, but why, why, uh, way, way, sorry. And Ella says a Christmas ornament. Maxime says salt or pepper shaker. Not Gordian sees a pink star. Um... Michael Logue sees a cookie, Sigma 6, an ashtray. Cat Dean sees a quarter. Fortis King X, a thin coat of uh, liquid, liquid hue white. Um, an opaque white sphere from Bella. Uh, Stevie Ray says a yo-yo. GBGN1, a bottle of aspirin. We're out of we're just about out of time here. I you know what? I I gotta throw my hands up on this one. What okay, I just text you a picture of it. You texted me a picture. Okay, let me have a okay, go to my phone all, here. All, I'm, I'll just all the round all the round shapes. There it all is. All the people that saw it as a, as a as a sphere, you know, those looking straight down, a sphere would look like a flat dish. And you can see on this three inch coin that there is a picture of President Kennedy, which yes. I purchased from the uh, depository, uh, book depository uh, museum. And it has raised and lower surfaces. And the word uh, liberty 1964 is in an array all around the coin, which would look like spokes. Yeah, I can see that. Mm. Well, I had the shape right anyway. You had, uh, and holding, you had the depth of the of the surface. I'm holding it up to the camera. I don't know if people can see that clearly. 
You can see that the desk is kind of a brownish color, too. That's what was throwing you off. And, uh, and it, it fits in my coins. My hand is said, well, I could put it in my hand, too, and take a picture of it. It's, it's about three inches. Um, I just put it up on the YouTube live stream. So you can see, it. I held my phone up to the camera so people can see it is the Kennedy coin. Uh, is that a quarter? Or is it a nickel? Um, I'm going to give you the other side, too. I, I was wondering if somebody would. Uh, Someone guessed a quarter. Who guessed a quarter? Someone. Well, if they did that, that was right on the money. Yeah, who guessed that was that, that was remarkable. I'm going to send you uh, quickly uh, the the coin in my hand. This is amazing. We can do this stuff, right? <laughs> it is remarkable. How do how do they take the remote viewing uh, course again, Douglas? Yeah, uh, he, uh, send me an email to the following address: info i n f o at douglasjamescottrell.com. And ask, put in the subject line, um, you know, workshop information, RV workshop information, something like that. And then give me your uh, name and phone number. And, of course, I'll have your email. And I will get back to you with the details. Okay, so you have the info um, at, at douglasjamescottrell.com. Pardon? Oh, Cat Dean guessed the quarter. Cat Dean. Well done, Cat Absolutely. All right. That's bragging rights, Kathy. You have bragging rights because from above, as you look down, it looks the size of a quarter. Yeah. But when you see it in my hand, which I just sent Richard the uh, uh, another couple of pictures, you'll see that it does fit in the palm of my hand, which is one of the things I gave. And I believe what this is, is uh, a large United States of America Half dollar is what it says on the other Someone side. That's the half dollar as well. Uh, that was Gary Gnu or Gary New, GNU. Guess hey, Gary. Wow. All right. We got to run. Douglas, you and I will get together uh, soon, I hope, uh, for an, an, an adult beverage. Thank you so much for uh, spending my last, Richard, uh, or my second to last a, show here. It's been a pleasure. I wish you well. You are going to have unbelievable. Uh, success in the next two, three years. So more power to you. Break a leg, as they say in showbiz. And uh, thank you for being my friend all these years. Take care, Richard, and God, God bless, bless you and your family and the twin boys and your lovely uh, lady in your life, the mother of your children. God bless. Thank you so much. DouglasJamesCottrell.com. All right. Stay with us. Hour two awaits. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. 
for inviting me into your home, your long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Carlos Cagina is our technical producer, and uh, Ryan White is the live stream producer. Please check out my YouTube and Rumble channel, Strange Planet. Uh, I also want to give a quick shout out to Star Chamber patrons tonight, Tim T., Tim Sullivan, and Deep Paul. Tim T., Tim Sullivan, and Deep Paul, they are Star Chamber tier uh, patrons or patrons at uh, patreon.com slash strange planet. Thank you, Tim T, Tim Sullivan and Deep Paul for your uh, generous support. It means so much to us here at strange planet. We, we can't do what we do. Test, 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 test. All right. Uh, if you're just tuning in now, uh, this is my uh, second to last broadcast here on Zoomer radio AM 740. After 13 years, I have decided uh, it was time to keep uh, one less plate spinning. Uh, I'll continue to produce three episodes of my podcast, Strange Planet, every week, Monday, Tuesday, or sorry, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they, uh, they're published. The YouTube channel, uh, and so many of you gather in the YouTube live chat every week. I know you've, you've created your own wonderful community. Uh, we're going to keep it going, so there'll be more details on what we'll do with the YouTube channel. Uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan and I will be discussing uh, what exactly that will entail this coming week, and um, I'll continue to post new content there. It just won't be on Sunday nights, uh, but I may do uh, a special live stream as well, at least once a, a month. And uh, I'll be continuing with uh, Coast to Coast AM, three or four shifts per month, and of course I'll continue hosting the uh, Richard Serrett Show weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 p.m., on Saga 960. Incidentally, there's a new website for that show. Check it out, therichardserrettshow.com, therichardserrettshow.com. Now, next week, next week, my very last show here on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, two hours of open lines. Ask me anything, and also I'll test into the audio archives and uh, play some clips from some favorite past shows. All right, uh, right now, we're going to take one last look at the state of UFO disclosure, at least on this show. Victor Vigiani has uh, been with me from the beginning, starting at uh, another radio station in uh, 2000. And uh, then on another radio station in 2003, and then, and then he's been here with me many, 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 many times since I started here on Zoomer back in 2009. He's a retired school principal from Toronto. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Sociology and Psychology, a Master's in Educational Administration and Curriculum Development, and a Victor's research and analysis of uh, aerial phenomenon spans over 30 years. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals, reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalism in the field of ETI disclosure issues. He is the director of Zeland Communications and Zeland News Network. Victor, welcome back once again. How are you, my friend? Just fine, Richard. Just fine. It's great to be with you at this point in time in your history. So, uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a very special evening, and I, I want to thank you very much for allowing me to be part of it. I really do appreciate it. 
Oh, of course. Of course. I wouldn't think of uh, saying so long without having you on the program <laughs> uh, one last time. Yeah. So um, you wrote a, an article, uh, that w- w- and people can see that up at, uh, that's at zlandcommunications.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. And um, relating to unidentified aerial phenomena, it's titled, um, well, let me see here. Where were, where, where have we been? Where are we now? What next? Mm-hmm. So let's just dive in. Uh, where have we been? Well, I guess the, the reason that I wrote the editorial to begin with, Richard, is um, I have, in a way, I've, how can I put it succinctly? I've really changed my perspective on this whole thing called disclosure. Um, and that's after a lot of deep thought and, and uh, sort of watching the carousel of news has gone on since 2017 uh, when um, uh, Ralph Blumenthal and Helena Cooper and Leslie Kane burst onto the scene uh, from the New York Times with their exposure of the Pentagon uh, situation with respect to the Tic Tac videos and the ATIP program and all those other you know, sec- highly secretized things that were going on from 2007 to 2012 in the Pentagon with respect to investigation of, um, of UFOs or UAP. And I, I've rethought all of my, my previous, I haven't changed my mind necessarily, but I've rethought, reconfigured my, my understanding of what's really gone on and I think I've divided it into two places, into two parts. Uh, I, I call it the New and the Old Testament, to use a biblical image for a second. Uh, everything that happened before 2017, before the New York Times broke that it's absolutely mind-blowing article by those three, um, I call them demolition artists, and I'll get to that in a minute if you want. But before that, you had, uh, before 2017, you had all of the things that went on since 1947 with respect to the crash at Roswell and how the government tried to, you know, reanalyze it and reissue it and redefine it and lie about it, essentially. And all the things that happened between, you know, 1950 right through uh, several decades of, of secrecy, uh, right up until, I guess, the beginning of uh, the year 2000. And when the the, the, the project uh, by uh, Stephen Greer came into place and then eventually landing up in 2017 with the disclosure about the Pentagon issue, I, I call that um, the, the Old Testament, the history of UFO secrecy. And a lot went on in all of those decades. And we spent a lot of time analyzing things in that period of time and sort of uh, putting all of our stock and trade in what went on in the past. And then all of a sudden, this 2017 thing hit, and it became the New Testament of disclosure, with uh, the government actually admitting uh, in many different ways, and we can get into that too if you want, in many different ways that these UFOs or UAP, they were redefined uh, as as real. They admitted, the Pentagon admitted that these things were in fact real. They were outperforming our most sophisticated, uh, you know, aircraft and doing things that, that nothing that they had in their arsenal could ever replicate. You know, going from, you know, 50 feet above the water in, in, the, in the Pacific Ocean to 85,000 feet in less than one second. Uh, that kind of exposure, that kind of statement, kind of blew everybody off the saddle of of, uh, of the UFO history. It, it would, nothing before had been said in that way. 
with respect to the Pentagon revelation. So, uh, right. you know, on yeah, came that, and then it was sort of, it was a different ball game after that, is what I'm saying. Yeah, because now, for, really, now the idea that t- for a journalist to come on TV and say there's no such thing as UFOs. Uh, I mean, that's not yeah. even a, that's not a credible position. I mean, that's laughable now. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Any any of the skeptics who've held their stock in trade over the past, you know, in the in the Old Testament, who tried to, uh, you know, uh, legitimize their position by saying this is just, you know, a flock of birds or, you know, uh, weather anomalies. That argument no longer stands. It is an absolutely uh, untenable position for any scientist any uh, researcher, for anyone who's a skeptic, you just don't maintain that position anymore because um, uh, the United States government uh, through the Pentagon has admitted that their, their their finest pilots have seen these things. They've flown beside them and uh, had these things fly rings around their, their most sophisticated aircraft. So, I mean, that's that's where we've been. And that's, you know, what, what happened uh, in that period of time was a series of uh, what, I, what I would call... Um, uh, re- revolutionary, okay, in a lot of ways, and it was also the ridiculous. Everybody was, you know, guessing at what mm-hmm. these things were and trying to uh, redefine what the UFO issue was for so many decades. And everybody has their own specific understanding. And, and if you look at all the researchers that you and I have interviewed, both of us, and many of the interviews on, on uh, I guess, in Coast to Coast and many of the other podcasts, all of the, the these these re- researchers have got their own spin on things. Uh, the, the the agreement and disagreement uh, within the UFO research community about what these things were, are, and could be is is uh, you know, as wide as the number of grains of sand uh, you know on any given beach. Uh, that is all kind of funneled down to one realization that these things a are real, and that uh, the transition from that statement that these UFOs are real has yet to be made into the government admitting. And here's the real turnkey of this whole situation, uh, Richard, is that uh, they're one step away, maybe two steps away from actually acknowledging that these things are not from here. And so what's the only answer to that? If they're not from here, they must be from somewhere else. And uh, the Pentagon and the Director of National Intelligence and uh, all of the people within government have not really said anything about that uh, origin of these things. They have not they have been afraid to use the word extraterrestrial or off world civilizations. They're not there yet. And there's a number of reasons why that transition is yet to happen. We had 2017 with the admission from the Pentagon that these things were real, but they've yet to really clarify and admit uh, whether they're afraid to. uh, There's a lot of reasons for that, that these things are not from here. So we're really in a different position right now uh, after everything has been done. And that E word, the extraterrestrial word, is yet to be uttered in, 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 in saying, and there's a lot of, uh, I guess, implications to that. The implications for the government to admit, think about it for a second, if the United States government or any major government within, uh, you know, on, on a global scale admitted that we are in fact being engaged by and visited by off-world civilizations, extraterrestrials, that'll change everything, Richard. It will change everything. And we can get into that when we get into where we are now and where we can be. Well, as you say in your in your article, and people, again, can go to um, Zeland, is it Zeland Communications.blogspot? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, sealandcommunications.blogspot.com. Yep. Um, you know, we've had these a series of uh, jarring journalistic reports starting in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now we have, for the first time really in history, we have uh, a, a total 180 in terms of the attitude that, that the press takes towards this arena, UFOs or UAPs. It's it's treated now with seriousness. We have investigative exposés happening. Uh, you point out in your article, the New York Times, for example, seems to be doubling down in terms of trying to expose government secrecy. Um, but then we had the um, the congressional hearing. Was it in May of this year? That's right. Yeah. And you had the um, it was the deputy director of naval intelligence, Scott Bray. Mm hmm. Uh, stood up and it was really kind of an embarrassing uh, display because he knew nothing when he was questioned. And the questions were, he was getting some excellent questions uh, from some of the um, the Congress, um, the representatives in the, in the house. Uh, he, he did, he knew nothing. He, he acknowledged no, no, he, he said he had no knowledge of UFO incursions over nuclear facilities. Um, he really either was being evasive on purpose or he was just not prepared at all. Yeah, it, basically, Richard, what happened there is that uh, someone within the United States government, be it the Pentagon or the CIA or uh, the Director of National Intelligence, p- pick any alphabet organization that, that you want, they sent two little boys uh, to the <laughs> to the congressional hearing room uh, to uh, to do what I think you and I have called before that you know the the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers dance. They just literally danced around every single question that was thrown at them. Not only did they not know the the context of what had happened they not only did they not know uh, what the pentagon was involved in they were unable to answer any of the of the questions by by people like adam shift and the um, and the chairman andre carson they showed complete and total ignorance. Now, what does that really mean? Why were these two puppets sent into this uh, into this arena, uh, not to to lie? I, I don't think that they really lied, um, st- uh, you know, in, in in that way, Richard. I think they just played stupid on purpose, <laughs> if you can do that. And, I, and that sort of reflects the idea that the United States government, and here's the here's really one of the key points about where we are with respect to. Um, disclosure is that um, the United States government wants to control the narrative of this situation. They desperately have to control this narrative. And if they don't control this narrative, it's going to get uh, out of hand. And by getting out of hand, they're going to be moving down the pipeline of eventually um, explaining all of these really weird situations with respect to sightings and encounters with pilots and all the things that are going on, legitimately going on with respect to how these uh, these UAP are engaging, uh, you know, uh, the airspace of virtually every country in the world. What they're going to have to do is decide how are they going to redefine their position from a national security issue. And from a, a fear-based issue, how are they going to redefine that into something that's going to become something different? Uh, and they all know what that something different really is, okay? And the something different 
is, I'd love to talk to you about this more and more all the time. That's something different, Richard, is the fact that uh, we are now being engaged by off-world civilizations, and we're not really sure how many are being at our doorstep. Okay, it's not just one group. When we say extraterrestrials, we're just not talking about one group of people from another planet or another, another um, you know, solar system or whatever, another galaxy. We're dealing with a multiplicity of Ga- off-world civilizations, Federation. and that's that's one of the key points that we have to deal with. The Galactic Federation is the uh, well, the Galactic Federation sort of implies that whoever these uh, beings are, however many. Uh, uh, of them, uh, there are. Your statement implies that there is some sort of a level of cooperation mm. among them. And I'm not quite sure if, if I buy that argument. Uh, there may be a group of these civilizations that are, in fact, aligned in some way or another. And there may also be other civilizations, and thousands of them potentially, that are not. So what we're dealing with, <clears throat> excuse me, is a, is a situation where we've got all of these off-world civilizations at different places in time, and we're also dealing with the fact, Richard, the, the possible fact, that these beings are, or could be, uh, interdimensional in, 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 in nature. And that's another, that's another question for, for another time, I guess. We could get into it a little bit later on. And once you read to the very end of my article, uh, my editorial in Zealand, we get into the possibilities of what they call ultra-extraterrestrials ultra or ultra-dimensionals, uh, written by Hal Putoff. And he goes into a redefinition of what these beings might be and what UAP might really be. And it's really worth reading what his assessment really is. So anything to do with disclosure right now, backing up a little bit now, with respect to, you know, U.S. national security and, and you know, Tic Tac videos, Put that in the context of who these beings really are, and it just blows the United States out of the water with their understanding and their wish to control the narrative of this. If the United States continues to control the narrative, all of the realizations of who these off-world civilizations are is never going to be brought forward. If this, this continues to be a national security issue that's controlled by the United States— we're in big, big trouble. And if the if the mainstream media continues to buy and choke down the the uh, uh, the story, the narrative that the United States is in control of this issue with respect to these things invading our airspace, we are going to be in very, very big trouble. And and that's the big, I guess, turnkey or turning point as to how disclosure has really, really changed. This issue is not belonging to the United States government. This issue does not belong to any one country. This issue belongs to the human family. And it's up to the human family to come to some sort of understanding as to what this really is. And that's, a, the, that's the other big step that we're, we're attempting to take, is get the human family, the entire population of our planet, to become aware of what this issue is really being, not through the lens of national security, as the, the United States would want us to believe, but through the lens of who the human family is and where we are going as a species. And I said this before on your program, that we, in fact, are on the threshold of the next step of our of our evolution as a species. And once we understand that issue, it, it knocks out of the water this whole national security narrative that the United States government is trying to force down people's throats. Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zeland Communications, zlandcommunications.blogspot.com.
com if you want to read uh, that article and uh, uh, many other news and uh, editorial comment can be found there as well. Uh, Victor, thank you so much for joining me on my uh, second to last program. We will keep these conversations going on my podcast and uh, also uh, on the uh, the YouTube channel. I'll be uh, announcing soon what I'll be doing with the YouTube channel. You'll be a part of that, I know. Uh, Victor, thank you so much as always. It's a pleasure to be with you, and best of luck in the future, Richard. It's uh, it's been a it's been a great it's been a great story. To be continued. Yes, All for right. sure. Bye for now. All right, coming up next, deep state secrets. Media scientist Nelson Thal, stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right. Welcome back to the penultimate uh, program. Uh, One more time, just a reminder that uh, we are winding the show down. This is the second to last show. This was entirely my decision. Uh, It has, you know, there is no desire on the part of... uh, Moses Neimer or anyone at Zoomer for me to leave. In fact, when I let them know that I was winding the show down, they were uh, surprised, saddened. Um, I didn't, I wasn't entirely sure I would get an opportunity to say goodbye. That's typically not how it works in the radio business, but the people at Zoomer Radio are not typical. This is not your typical radio station. Uh, They've been so gracious and they said, no. You know, take two weeks to say goodbye. Do a couple shows at least, you know, and then maybe the, I'll do the rounds on some of the other shows on Zoomer to say goodbye. So thank you for uh, for that uh, uh, kind gesture to Moses Neimer, Paul Thomas, and everyone at uh, Zoomer Radio. Next week I will be – I be, my intention is to do the final show live in studio from mm-hmm. Zoomerplex, and it will be open lines. We'll take – uh, questions over the phone, questions from the YouTube live chat, ask me anything, and uh, I'm going to reach into the audio archives and uh, play some some snippets from favorite past shows over the last 13 years. But once again, um, this is so long for uh, Zoomer Radio, but I still have my podcast three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's a, a Strange Planet, available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple and Spotify. I still have um, the YouTube channel, I'll continue uh, uploading fresh content to the YouTube channel. I'll probably do at least one live chat per month on the uh, the, the YouTube channel. Uh, in fact, there'll probably be more content on the YouTube channel going forward. And um, uh, Coast to Coast AM, I'll continue to guest host there three, four times a month. Uh, and then also I have my uh, my my daily afternoon drive home show on Saga 960, The Richard Serrett Show. You can go to therichardserrettshow.com, therichardserrettshow.com for more information. All right. Uh, we're going to um, continue on visiting with some old dear friends on the program. Uh, Nelson Thal, former student of the late communication guru Marshall McLuhan. Media scientist, longtime assassination researcher, uh, is here. We're going to discuss deep state secrets, including the recent death of actress Anne Heche in a, uh, a fiery car crash. Uh, she survived the crash and then died about a week later. 
a lot of strange circumstances surrounding that. And that happened about a day, her car crash happened about a day after the car crash, which took the life of U.S. Representative Jackie Walorski, uh, who's a representative from Indiana, I believe. Also, two of her aides were killed. And uh, Walorski had just, uh, I'm not sure of the timing, but at one point she had sponsored a bill. I think she was very active in this area, sponsored a bill to uh, combat human sex trafficking. So that's Walorski's work, combating human sex trafficking. And then Anne Heche had recently appeared in a movie, it has yet to be released, called The Girl in Room 13, where Anne Heche plays the mother of a daughter who is being held captive in a hotel room and her captors are intending to sell her into human trafficking. The whole point of the movie was to raise awareness about this scourge of human trafficking and child, uh, and sex, um, child sex rings and so forth. So it's strange that both Haitian and Walorski died a day apart in car crashes, both working on this issue. There have been other examples of, uh, of people that have been vocal about human trafficking, Anthony Bourdain uh, and, and others who ended up dying under some might say mysterious circumstances. Time permitting, we'll also get into a digital ID, digital currency, maybe the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. All right, so uh, once again, Nelson Thal recognized as one of the world's leading authorities on the science of communication media and process analysis, and uh, his expertise has afforded him the opportunity to define law terms for the Federal Court of Canada, develop a television series with the late Dr. Timothy Leary, and while a graduate student studying at the University of Toronto with Professor Marshall McLuhan, Nelson became a uh, McLuhan protege and served as the president of the Marshall McLuhan Center on Global Communications from 1990 to 1995. He served on the boards of directors of Torstar, Stan Lee Media, Peace Arch Films and Entertainment and other publicly traded media companies. Nelson Thal, welcome back to the program one more time. How are you, buddy? Just fine. Thanks very much for that introduction. And it's just a real honor to be back here to celebrate this show with you, Richard. Well, you know, I, I was uh, off the, the top of the show. I was saying that um, I think we first met in the um, maybe around 1993. Uh, I wasn't on the air. I was working as a producer at another radio station and someone up on the 11th floor um, who worked for the in the syndication wing, I believe, of that radio station. You knew him. He wanted to introduce you to the the host of the show that I was producing. And um, it wasn't long after that uh, that you introduced me. I think that you, the, the first book uh, that you introduced me to was uh, Carol Quigley, Dr. Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope. And, uh, of course, nothing has ever been the same since. So really, you're in many ways, you're responsible for sort of my getting involved in this whole arena. Do you remember that uh, way back when, when our first meeting? Yes, I certainly do. It was exciting at those years and those years. I mean, our purpose was never to entertain, but to expose the truth and update consciousness. And that's always been our prime purpose. And um, every one of the state secrets which we identified has certainly come to life, to light. We're batting a thousand. 
And here we are wrapping up after many decades. So it's certainly a night to reminisce and celebrate our past successes. And um, I mean, one of our big successes was that starting in the early 70s, they they had to start labeling these state secrets as conspiracy theories just in order to cover up their nefarious secret societies. Right. And um, because the, the word conspiracy, of course, now is completely radioactive. Um, anytime anyone wants to shut down a discussion or an investigation, they just label uh, somebody a conspiracy theorist. Um, and so, as, as you say, the term state secret is probably more uh, appropriate. I wanted to reminisce a little bit in terms of some of the people that you Again, this was the early and mid-90s um, that you brought on this this program that I was producing at the time. Um, I remember an interview that uh, we did, you did, with Pierre Salinger. Yes. And uh, Pierre Salinger, of course, was at one time John F. Kennedy's press secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was a correspondent for many, for many years, foreign correspondent for ABC News. Um. What was the, I'm trying to remember the... um, Well, it was the TW-800 he identified as being uh, shot down by a terrorist missile. Uh, The government story, of course, was an an obvious lie in that it was a spark in the center fuel tank that that triggered the explosion, which is anybody who's a pilot or knows anything about flying knows that was nonsense. But they were able to get away with this mm-hmm. sort of nonsense and lies. And, and uh, Salinger recognized it. And, of course, he started to publicize it. And he was uh, at the ABC News desk in New York, and they immediately moved him and shifted him to Paris. Uh, and as a assassination and JFK assassination researcher starting in 69 and working with Penn Jones and May Brussel and Sherman Skolnick, cutting my teeth and studying and learning and spending time with them, um, I was able to get an introduction to Salinger and discuss all sorts of historical events that he was involved in. And of course, at this time, uh, when we brought him on on the other radio station, I almost said the name, uh, uh, he was he was being ostracized by the media because he was uh, telling the truth. And, you know, as one of the things we we've always talked about, how as Luke 8, 17 says in the Holy Scriptures, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not uh, be known and come to light. And um, that's what we've been doing, exposing these secrets that the uh, that the, the scripture says are going to be made known. Another um, interview that I recall was yeah. the Brigadier General Parton. Yes. On the Oklahoma. Uh, Brigadier General Parton was another uh, contact of mine. He was head of the non-nuclear arsenal of the United States, and he was brought in by the government to do the uh, analysis of the Alfred Murrah building explosion, which is other, a.k.a. Oklahoma. Yes. Uh, and his report, in his report, he found that it was a bomb inside the building by judging from the structure. This was his expertise. Of course, he was a Ph.D. in engineer as well as a general. And he said the, the bomb was from inside the building. And, of course, you recall, Richard, that uh, the government again lied and said it was 
McVeigh, Timothy McVeigh, using a, a drove his truck filled with fertilizer. I mean, these guys—a <laughs> a shit bomb—is what they said parked outside the building. And so Benton Parton did this report, and of course, it was totally ignored, and he was. Uh, censored by the media, and once again, he became available to us. Normally, normally we'd never be—I'd never be able to get to these people. But the minute they get censored by the mass media, um, somebody like us on a, on a blowtorch station, as Skolnick called it, up in Toronto, um, can get to them. I mean, I remember once picking up the newspaper in 1989, and there was a full-page ad in the Sunday New York Times. Uh, saying that TWA 800, back to Solinger and TWA 800, TWA 800 was shot down by missiles, and the ad was taken out by the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Moore. Right, right. Now, I expected that Sunday night, the next day, that Dan Rather would have picked up that story. That's news. I mean, I don't care who you are, but a journalist or no, you are not a journalist. You should realize that that's news if the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff does that. And, and he had to take out a 70, he paid $75,000 yeah, for the ad. Media scientist, assassination researcher, protege of the late communications guru, Marshall McLuhan. Nelson Thal uh, is here and you will... Uh, Remember Nelson from uh, many years as a host of a very successful late night program called Cloak and Dagger. Uh, Nelson, of course, uh, also known as Lenny Bloom for all those uh, years and uh, created uh, quite a fire, <laughs> quite a storm uh, with some of the revelations on that program. And um uh, I'm trying to remember the the name of the uh, was a, a minister in the German uh, government, federal government that you you also had a number of discussions with regarding 9/11. Um, do you remember who I'm referring to? Sure, that was uh, Andreas von Bülow, who had been head of German CIA uh, and then became the minister of intelligence uh, and uh, f uh, in the in the um, Schmidt cabinet. And we brought him on, and um, he, he identified uh, how 9/11 could not have been done without um, without state backing of the American military. Mm -hmm. And to have we always, I mean, the, you know, Rich, because they censored all these top people, it made them available to small fries like us. Uh, who never would have normally gotten to them. So this is one of the, for us, one of the benefits of the fact that there is this um, propaganda blanket and this smothering going on. Uh, by the way, since you're mentioning it, I do want to take this opportunity to thank um, Mr. Namer, Moses Namer, the yeah. executive a president who uh, deserves a lot of credit for putting us on the air and the TV show that um, he put on his television show, Vision TV, that we did many years ago. Yes. I mean, um, this this takes a lot of courage and foresight and intelligence, and he's a very wise man. And I just want to point that out uh, to the audience that uh, we're very fortunate to have a man like that running uh, the media here. Absolutely, absolutely. Eternally grateful to Moses Neimer. Uh, yes. Um, all right, so I want to ask you about um, so, Anne Heche. Anne Heche. Yeah. Hollywood movie actress. 
Yeah. 53 years old. She's uh, she, her car slams into a into a home, a fiery crash. Uh, there's video uh, of her being taken out on a stretcher in it, what appears to be a body bag um, as if she's, you know, succumbed to her injuries before she's loaded into the ambulance. We see this is an aerial photo or aerial video of her. She's it's like she's bursting out of this body bag. Like, in other words, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. She actually sits up on the stretcher. Uh, a week later, she uh, sadly succumbs to uh, her injuries, we're told. Her her car crash follows just a, maybe a, two days or a day before um, Indiana Representative Jackie Wolarski uh, is killed in a car accident, along with two of her aides. It turns out that she was a sponsor of a bill, and this was a, a – an issue very near and dear to her heart, a bill to combat human trafficking. And I, I, I neglected to mention, Anne Heche had just completed a movie yet to be released called A Girl in Room 13, uh, which also deals with human trafficking. What do you hear about these two things? Are they? Is this a coincidence? Are they related? Well, you know, as Marsh McLuhan talked about the fact that we live in an age of gigantic pictorial illusionism, and journalistic exaggeration of concealment. Uh, he always liked to go to the hidden ground to this stuff. And I think the hidden ground to this, I can read to you right off the, the scriptures. Uh, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch. Uh, Deuteronomy 18.10, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. Uh, that's what's been going on for thousands of years, and it hasn't changed in our modern era, which isn't so modern. It's just that they've been able to cover it up and keep it covered up. And usually what happens in the United States is they cover this up by titillating the audience with sex. Clinton did it with the uh, with uh, Lewinsky, uh, Monica, and uh, distracted people from the fact that he was selling uh, atomic bomb parts to Korea, as Golnick, Sherman Skolnick exposed. And this is, once again, this is what they're doing. It's uh, horrendous, but this is not new. This is going on for thousands of years. It's detailed in the Bible. And um, they're causing and offering their children uh, to uh, to Moloch, to Baal, Satan worshiping. And in order to cover this up, they claim, oh, it's just pedophiles and they're child slaves and they're using the children for pedophiles. That's probably too, too, true. But uh, it's 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 the thing that they're taking. It's the main thing they're talking about. It's got nothing to do with what's really happening and the real hidden ground here. And now back to Anne Hesch. Well, she did a movie exposing a lot of this. Right. The girl in room 13. It's uh, yet to be released. We'll see. I'm not sure when that's slated for release. Um, and then, you know, there have been others where I got to go into a break here. But uh, Anthony Bourdain, who supposedly uh, took his own life, was also apparently very vocal about Human trafficking. We had um, uh, the lead singer of uh, Lincoln Park, Chester Bennington, um, and and it is trafficking, but it's not for the purpose of sex alone. It's also for passing through the fire, which is horrendous. Absolutely, I know we've told this story uh, before, but it's been a few years. Nelson, you um, courageously 
smuggled in a, um, a copy of the Zapruder film into Canada uh, that had been given to you by JFK assassination Penn Jones, and it had been given to him. Uh, well, I'll let you tell the story. Uh, I mean, had you been caught with that film? This is before his still film. be in jail today. Right. This was before um, uh, before Geraldo Rivera aired the Zapruder film on one of these uh, network specials in the mid 70s or early 70s. Mm -hmm. This was like, what, 1970, 71? You 71. met 71. You met Penn Jones down, down at Love Airfield in Dallas and he gave you the Zapruder film and he got it from. He got it from Jim Garrison. Right. So, uh, yeah. Basically, in 1969, I started, uh, I picked up the paper and I saw that the Clay Shaw had been charged with the murder of uh, John F. Kennedy. And uh, when the Warren Commission came, I got a copy of the Warren Commission, started to read it and pretty well realized right away that the whole thing was a, a cover up. And I got in touch with Penn Jones through contacts I had in the newspaper business here, got an introduction, went down to Dallas, saw him and had my eyes opened up to what was going on with that assassination and the and the, the whole nomenclature of the assassination cabal uh, and um, uh, Garrison had the copy. He got the copy in 1964 uh, with the Warren Commission when it was published. The copy went into the archive for 75 years. It was not to be taken out. But when but Garrison subpoenaed it from Time Life and it was brought out. He showed it during uh, during the trial. And at the lunch break, he had the Kodak labs all ready to go, and he made a copy illegally. Then he had an illegal copy of the Bruder film, but what was he going to do with it? How could he safely get rid of it? He was in a problem. It was a hot potato. He wanted to get it out, but, you know, he didn't. Who could he trust? Because uh, anybody would be able to extort a lot of money out of him if they got a hold of it, or they could go to the FBI and report it and say, I got this from Jim Garris, and then he'd be in trouble. They'd arrest him. Uh, I just happened to be the right guy in the right time, right spot. I was Canadian, connected to the media, could get it out. And um, and Garrison trusted me and he released it to Penn Jones and Penn gave it to me. I went down to Dallas. Uh, I bought a ticket in those years. You know, um, there's you didn't even have to show a passport. Uh, you could give any name on a ticket that you wanted to give, which I did. I didn't give my real name. And I just took a bought a ticket there and a ticket back. And I uh, Penn Jones met met me at the gate because in those years, you know, you could meet the person at the gate. Right. He just met me at the gate and handed me a copy. And actually, just for trivia purposes, he he hid it inside of all of, of the tragedy and hope book by a Carol Quigley, which you, wow. you, you yeah. And I just went to the gate, got out of the plane, went to the gate. He handed me the book. I went back in the plane. And while the cleaners were vacuuming, they said, uh, you don't have to stay here. I said, no, no. And I just stayed on the plane and flew back to Toronto and kissed the ground when I got out because it was not illegal to have. And then I now can. No, it was it, illegal to have. It was illegal to have yeah, in the United States, but not in Canada. Not in Canada. right? So once right. I was in Canada, I was safe. Got it. And then and I got. 
You wanted to get and, it aired on a border station, right? So that right, I wanted to get it aired so people we could distribute it to the states. So I used I was at the University of Toronto, and I got in touch with people at the other universities in Syracuse, and um, Rochester, and Buffalo, and uh, Detroit, and Michigan around the borders because I had a guy, a high-level guy, executive. His name was I can now say Eric Koch, K O C H. Eric was the highest executive at CBC in Toronto. There was no one in Toronto higher than him, that, and uh, and uh, he agreed to uh, to air it very quickly. And so I uh, he aired it, and uh, he did it at about two thirty in the morning. And uh, so I had guys at the universities in the states on the you know, who could pick up the station CBLT Toronto, and I can't remember the the the, the Windsor station, but it was CBC Windsor and. We broadcasted it and they picked it up on tape and that's how we got it out. In other words, it wasn't necessarily for the, the, the general public unless they happened to be watching at 2.30 in the morning. All of a sudden the test pattern disappears. Up, yeah. Up comes the Zapruder <laughs> film footage. Yeah. While all of these researchers and other places around that you had alerted are hitting record on their big reel-to-reel tape machines. So in other words, you're now duplicating it. Around the world, or not around the. Yeah, around I think the it's eight, it, I think it's two two and a half inch tape. I can't. You know, yeah. it's been a long time. I think it's is that two and a half inch tape. The big ones. I can't remember. That's. Before. I can't remember, but it's that those big tapes that we had in the university libraries. That's what we use. What they used. Right. I'm and, and I'm sure there were people that were, that happened to see it by accident. Yeah, they but I don't think they'd understand it or know what it was. And who's on at two thirty in the morning listening to a watching a test pattern? Maybe, but it only came on. We only dropped the test pattern uh, for about what was the color bars they call it. But right. uh, they they only drop it dropped it for about a minute and a half. Right, right. So that technically is the first time the Zapruder film was aired on yeah. television. Yeah, yeah. So I was an illegal – I became a film distributor, of a, a legal film distributor. You know, someone has always uh, – something that has always puzzled me, just getting back to the Zapruder film, uh, and that is Abraham Zapruder holding that camera, and it's rock steady. There he is standing you know, near the grassy knoll as this assassination is taking place. Shots are ringing out. You see people ducking for cover. He doesn't even flinch. The camera doesn't shake. It's it's just smooth as silk. <laughs> How do you explain that? Did Zapruder know something was happening? Well, uh, Penn Jones did uh, alluded to it that he was. Uh, Penn Jones would would only say publicly that. Uh, he never knew that Abraham Zapruder was a white Russian until he years later. He he implied Jones implied that he that Jones that Zapruder knew about it, and he 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 inferred that he had connection with Demorenschild, who met Oswald in the at the air uh, at the airport when he arrived in in in, 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 in the United States right. so he implied a, a connection there between Zapruder he implied implied that Zapruder had knowledge as you say yes and was there to document the event for whatever reason yes yes exactly to document it there were uh, many other cameras that day that just happened to be the one that for some reason that the public got got wind of Right, right. Well, well, you know, 
But to go back to yeah, we've we've had some we've gone to the top at all times with our we, we've gone to the top. We've gone to top people. We also had um, a lawyer for MI5 on uh, talking about Lady Diana. Uh, and uh, we, in all our research, Michael Shrimpton, we, we, Michael Shrimpton. Sh- Mike Shrimpton, yes. uh, yeah, who was a lawyer for MI5, came on and talked about the and explained the the wet team from Turkey that did the Diane assassination. I mean, we've really done yeoman service. It's been really exciting, and um, uh, I'm sure your audience benefited by it, updating their consciousness. And uh, help them today, because today we're in a situation where uh, it's evident from this latest cabal of state genocide by inoculation uh, that we're at an early manifestation of the pale horsemen of revelation. So there's a lot going on, and and the, the secrets are exposed, the prophecies becoming history at a faster pace than ever before than when we started. Well, Nelson, uh I'm sure we will continue these discussions. I hope we will on my my podcast and on my YouTube channel. Um, but it's uh, so long here on on AM 740 Zoomer Radio, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, for all the years that you've come on this program and um, enjoyed speaking with you every single time. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, it's an honor. And you've been doing yeoman service, great work. You 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 should win a Pulitzer Prize, Richard. And I uh, just want to thank you for the opportunity to be a friend and to uh, throw out some crazy ideas and rustle things around and get out and just you know uh, uh, be a beacon of light, which you've been. So I want to thank you again, and uh, we'll be in touch. And uh, God bless you. God bless you. Nelson Thal. All right. Uh, that's it for me. My thanks to Carlos Cagina and Ryan White. I'll be back next week. One more time. Two hours of open lines. Ask me anything. We'll also play some clips from some previous shows going back 13 years. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you, what you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, and coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.